During life's journey, we often seek to know God's will and to understand our purpose. So we search, we question, we seek guidance. And just as clay yields to the potter's touch, we surrender to God's plan. When we trust God, we are transformed. The hands of the divine potter shape us, refining our purpose and molding our hearts. Our lives take on a new meaning as we align with God's will. We become his instrument of love, compassion, and blessing. Through our journey of knowing God and doing God's will, we find strength and courage and unity and a deeper connection with God. Just as clay transformed by the potter, God makes you complete, shaping you into what you were meant to be. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you after being on a study break. I am going to share with you in the weeks to come some of the messages and, and series that we'll pursue over the next 12 months. I did feel led by the Lord to really work on helping us this coming year think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a real emphasis on the Trinity and what that means for you and me to be in relationship with this magnificent God. And then uh, another thing I did on the study break is I, I had a chance to go to Jakarta, Indonesia, and teach uh, 90 uh, leaders uh, who are with our partner, TTI, planting churches in Southeast Asia, and it was a, a great experience to be able to share with them and, and instruct them and be encouraged uh, by them. Many of them suffer greatly, and yet uh, the joy of the Lord is so evident in their life. You know, since the beginning of this year, we have seen over 180,000 conversions take place just in 2023. Isn't that awesome? All right? Um, and that's, you know, that's, you know, that's all a TTI, okay, around, around the world. But that's just amazing. And you and I get to be a little part of that. I'm so grateful for your support and investment in that ministry. And then, uh, this is very self-serving, but my, my book, Reset, came out on Audible. And so if uh, you don't like to read but you want to listen, uh, you can check that out. And um, one of our own Wooddalers, uh, Bob Schomper, uh, who sings in our choir, he was in professional radio for years, has just this amazing voice. He did all the narration, and it's just worth getting for the soothing therapy <laughs> that will put you to sleep. All right? So think about the money you spend on drugs to help you sleep. You can just get Audible, and you probably have credits if you're on Audible anyway, and uh, you can check it out. Enough of that. I want to talk to you a little bit about what's in this bag. I was going to take it out, and then I realized it's really messy, and I'd have it all over my suit jacket, and that would cause more issues. So this is, this is uh, very, 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 very cheap mud. It's dirt, basically, all right? And uh, it's been, you know, mixed together, and it forms, it forms clay. And... Uh, it's, it just has very little value, and it's really not very attractive at all. But what is so amazing is, is when something like this gets in the hands of a skilled artist, like somebody who does pottery, like Josiah, who is out here uh, leading us in worship today. He's, he's an amazing artist, and, and part of his art is also doing works with, with clay and, and mud. And so 
I asked him if he would come up with something, and, and so he goes, well, I kind of threw it. At, I think that's pottery lingo, all right? To me, to throw clay is like at the wall, all right? But, uh, and this thing's heavy, and uh, he said, I haven't done a large piece like that, and it's really beautiful. I did a really, really nice job with this. Maybe we'll give it away at the end of the series. But um, I just thought to myself, you know, isn't it amazing what happens when somebody who knows what they're doing gets a hold of just some mud and fashions something so amazing? It's like, it's like he imposed or he, you know, he took his thoughts of what he'd like this to be, and, and it happened. He, he used the touch of his hands to shape it to what it should be, and it's kind of like he worked his will out and, and created what was in his mind and his heart. You and I, were just like this clay. This is like your life and my life. And we're not really anything until our creator, God, gets a hold of us. And God just has a way, when he gets a hold of us, of uh, touching our hearts, touching our lives, and, and taking his thoughts and affecting our minds and, and taking his will and, and his plan and working it out in us. And when we yield to him, when we surrender to that will, when we let him mold and shape us, it's, it's just awesome. There's nothing more fulfilling, more satisfying than to know I'm where the Creator wants me to be and He's making me who He wants me to be. Now, obviously, if, if the clay could speak, the clay would tell you that going from this to this was not easy. There was some pain involved. There were some parts of the clay that had to be removed and there were some that had to be reshaped and everything that goes with it. But, boy, in the end, it's, it's really awesome. And sometimes, you know, as God works his will out in our lives, it can be a bit painful. It, it can be a little bit distressing. It can be a little bit daunting, right? But when I, when I learn to just surrender to his shaping and working in my life, what he produces is absolutely amazing and satisfying. So I have a question for you. Are you, right now, when you think about your life, are you in that sweet spot of of letting God mold you and shape you? Are you really flexible in his hands? Are, are you at that place where it's, Lord, not my will, but your will be done? No matter what's happening in my life, God, I know you're in control. I just trust you. Your will be done. Well, let me ask you this question. And uh, this is one of those questions that can make us a little uncomfortable, but if you were to really be honest today, would you say, you know, I really am not where... You're describing, actually, I'm kind of in a place where I would really prefer that God does my will, not me, his will. And if we're going to be honest with each other, all of us, all of us sometimes slip in that mode, don't we? At least I do. Sometimes I find myself not really asking God, God, what's your will for my life? Or what's your will in this situation? But I'm kind of like telling God in my prayers, here's my will for my family, my kids, my grandkids. Here's my will for Whitdale Church. Here's my will for my health or will for my finances or whatever it is. And Lord, as I present it to you, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you bless it? Do you ever do that? Am I alone in this place today? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say, God, your will, not my will, because it's our lives. We feel like we know what we're doing with them. And sometimes when we, live, when we leave our lives in God's hands, honestly, you wonder, does he really know what he's doing? But he does. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to be talking about uh, God's will for our life over the next four weekends. And 
we're going to look at different Bible characters and how God worked in their lives. But before we do, I just want you to bow your heads for a moment because I want to do a little more introspection this coming year in our messages. And God is with us. He's here in this place right now. He's in you if you're a follower. Ask God. Just say, Lord, am I, am I flexible in your hands? God, am I asking for my will or your will? Just ask him that question. He's going to answer you. I, I really believe he will. And Lord, that's how we want to start our series. We want to know from you. Am I where you want me to be? Are you, am I flexible, God? Am I allowing you to mold my life? We all want to be able to say at the end of this series, not my will, but thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So knowing, doing, experiencing the will of God. The first character we're going to look at, because we're going to look for uh, over, the, over the four weekends, the first character we're going to look at is Abraham. And the passage I want to just uh, reflect on briefly is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. I've asked Dan if he would uh, come up here and read that for us. Let's all stand uh, for the reverence and regard to the Word of God. If we believe it is the Word of God, then we should pay attention. The call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left for Haram. Seated. So here's your homework assignment for this week, all right? I want you to take that passage that Dan just read, and I want, you to, I want you to meditate on it a little bit, and I want you to ask yourself, you know, how did God, how did God let Abraham know about his will? What, what was involved? What did Abraham have to do? What did God tell him? And just look at, you know, some, some key words like, like leave, okay? Or I will make, all right? Or I will bless, or you will be a blessing, or Abram departed, and when he left. I'm kind of helping you with your homework. This whole idea of knowing and doing and experiencing God's will has a lot to do with being on the go with God. Like Henry Blackaby says, you know, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. Peter could not stay in the boat. He had to get out of the boat and go and follow Jesus. And all of us have a boat that we, in our life, we all have our comfort zones. We all have those places we like to be. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If you want to go with God, you're probably going to have to get out of that thing more than just once. And that's the adventure that God has for you and that God has for me. Now, what I love about Abraham is he's a nobody. He is. He's a nobody. And I like that because that means God can use anybody. He can use you. He can use me. I mean, where was he from? He was from this place called Ur of Chaldees, which if you put a map up here, it's right there. Can anything good come out of Ur of Chaldees? God just reaches down and chooses him. It's not because he's so good looking. It's not because he's young. I mean, the guy is past prime. He's 75. 
Even in those days, that's past prime. And God says, now is when I want to start with you, which is really good news for us because that means whether you're 20 or 90, God can do something amazing and new in your life. Does that encourage you? Some of you are like, no, 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 I want to slow down. There's no slow down with God. Maybe he turns things around. Maybe he uses you differently. But God always wants to be at work in our lives. And what's absolutely amazing about God choosing Abraham is not like Abraham had been to seminary and graduated and God said, oh, good, I have a seminary graduate and I can use him. It's not like Abram read his Bible every day or lived this moralistic life. Joshua 24 tells us Abram was a pagan. He was an idolater. And God just reaches down and says, I want to use you. I want to do something in you that all the nations in the world are going to be blessed as a result of that. And that takes us to our first principle when it comes to knowing, doing, and experiencing the will of God in your life and our life as a church. Here it is. First principle. We do not choose God in order to do God's will. Rather, God chooses us to do his will in and through us. You didn't find God. God found you. He may have found you through your parents. He may have found you at a Billy Graham crusade. He may have found you in a worship service. He may have found you reading a book. He may have found you through a friend. But God found you. God chose you. You and I don't choose him. We don't like say, God, I want to be a volunteer. I'm going to join your team and tell me what you want me to do. No, God says, hey, I want you and let me tell you what I want you to do. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. You can put your own name in there. Even before he made the world, God loved Heather and chose Heather. Or use your name. It says, he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and I love this last part, and it gave him great pleasure. And then over in John chapter 15, Jesus simply said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Now, I want to ask you another question. You ready? Do you believe that? Like, can you embrace that? Can you accept that God chose you and you had nothing to do with it? He just wanted you. Even before the foundations of the earth were laid, he knew about you and said, you're mine. You know, until you can come to that place, you will always wrestle with God's will. You will always wrestle with your spiritual life. Remember last year we did that series? Remember we talked about God's great story? Remember that? Listen, this is really hard for all of us. It's hard for me as well. We have a tendency to think that life is about us. That this whole thing is about me. It's my story. It's not. <laughs> it's God's story. And how, and how God wants you to be a part of his story. How God wants to work his will out through you in his great and awesome and amazing story. That leads us to a second principle. The second principle is this. God's primary, see, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for you today, all right? Everybody always, what's God's will? 
Well, here's his primary will. God's primary, back, please. God's primary will, the slide before this one. God's primary will for your life and our life together as a church, so individually and collectively, say it with me, is to become his ministers. How many of you have been to seminary? Let me see your hands. How many of you have not been to seminary? Let me see your hands. Yeah, doesn't matter. You're still a minister. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to have some degree. Everybody here, as soon as you receive the gift of eternal life, you become God's minister. Abraham was a minister of God. So what kind of minister was he? He was a minister of reconciliation because he's going to start a family and that family, the Jewish family, is going to preserve God's word, give birth to Messiah, and the Messiah is going to bring us back into relationship with himself. Through one family, God was going to reach all the families. So in a sense, Abraham is this reconciler. Well, guess what? You have the same title. You and I are ministers of reconciliation. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, all this is from God, talking about the gift of salvation, who reconciled us. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to be put back into a right relationship, in this case with God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ah, he's given me now as a minister this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Boy, he says that word quite a few times, doesn't he? And that takes us then to a third principle, and that's simply this. Whenever you truly encounter God, like you really come to know who he is, and in awareness of who he is, it transforms you into a person on mission. A minister... You are not truly a minister if you're not on mission. A real minister is always on mission. A real follower of Christ cannot stay where they are. They must go with God because we serve a God who's always going. And, and what's he doing? Where's he going? He's going to the people who need to hear how they can be reconciled to him again. And he just happens to use you and me and our church collectively to go and bring that message. We are ministers on mission. We are going, going, going. Did you enjoy uh, Kyle's friend, uh, Justin Briarley, who spoke here last weekend? I thought he was amazing. I enjoyed him a lot. Hope you're reading his book. Watch his YouTubes. He's a good man, good, solid, orthodox man. And by the way, I thought Pastor Kyle did a great job with the sermon series in August as well. Appreciated that. But you know, um, Justin said something last weekend that really stood out to me. He reminded us that, you know, in this world that we live in where people are trying to figure out what is life about, who, you know, who am I, why am I here, where am I going, he says there are all kinds of stories in the culture about that. There's all kinds of stories about what, how we got here, what went wrong, and how to fix it. And what the future is going to be like. But he said, he said, there's only one story that's the true story. And that's the story of God. The story of the Bible. Now, why is the story of the Bible true? The answer to that question is because it fits reality. 
That's why when somebody says to you, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, well, first of all, that doesn't even work. You can't have two things that are opposite each other both be true. If this is honestly true, that means anything that's different from that is not truth, even if it has bits and pieces of it. But, the, but what makes something true is if it fits reality, and the Bible so fits reality. It so fits reality. And you and I, we are, we are storytellers. Our job is to go and tell the story of reconciliation, who God is and what he's done for us. But you know, this whole idea of going and doing this, right, of, of going and, and being ministers who are on mission cuts against the grain of something that's infected the Western church, particularly the American church. And it's what's been labeled consumer Christianity. Do you know what consumer Christianity is? Consumer Christianity, I'm not picking on you, it's like sitting in the pew and saying, gimme, 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 gimme. It's, it's about prioritizing my own satisfaction even over my own spiritual growth and certainly over meeting the needs of others. Now, I have to tell you something. I, I think Wooddale Church, I'm being sincere, I think, I think we're a cut above the average. I, 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 think, I think God has blessed us, blessed you, and, and I see how God uses you so much to be a blessing to others. But this consumer mindset is always there waiting for us. And we have to be careful that we don't just sit in the pews and say, what are they going to do for me today? And then treat it like an NFL game, right? Where you go home and you critique how the game was played and if it worked well or didn't work well and how you could do it better. No, you got to get in the game. You got to say, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be part of this ministry. In essence, what we're saying is, you know what? We need, to, we need to go like Abraham and be a blessing. I've been so blessed so I can go and be a blessing. Can I ask you a question? Are you a blessing or are you a pain? Are you a blessing or are you a complainer? Are you a blessing or are you a criticizer? Are you a blessing or are you a judge? Are you a blessing or are you a gossip? When you leave people, do they feel blessed? Do they feel like, man, I was so blessed when he or she was here. Do you, do you bring into any meeting, any area, do you bring the presence of God because he lives in us? The Lord's been hammering me on this one lately. I mean, really. About, about being a blessing. About being an encouragement. About leaving people with a sense of, of, of something supernatural, something of God's presence. And I don't do that very well sometimes. But Abraham was to be a blessing. His family be a blessing to the world. And God, I think, wants our church to be a blessing. What does that look like? What does it mean to go and be a blessing? Well, if you go back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, here's your second homework assignment. I want you, I want you to read that prayer carefully because it was a prayer for you as much as it was for the disciples. And in his prayer, Jesus says this in chapter 17, verse 8. He says, just as you sent me into the world, he's talking to his father, I am sending them into the world. Someone's here is thinking to himself, that's the 12 disciples, it's not us. That's because you didn't read verse 20. In verse 20, oh, in verse 20, I got my notes here. Jesus says this, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's why John 17 is a prayer for you as, as much as it was for John or James or Peter. 
And so Jesus' prayer for you and me is that we'll go. And then five verses earlier in verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Now these guys, in the immediate context, are going to go and most of them are going to be killed. They're going to die as martyrs. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I've, I, you know, I've told them everything you told me to tell them so that when they leave, when they go, they go with joy, my joy. Well, what is this joy that Jesus is talking about? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 tell us. He says that, but for the joy set before him, he endured the shame and suffering of the cross. Well, what was the joy that was set before Jesus that would cause him to endure the shame and suffering of the cross? Do you know what the joy was? You see this little vase I'm holding up right now? This prize, so to speak, that we'll give away maybe at the end of the series? Guess what? The prize Jesus had his eyes on. Imagine this is you. is you and me. It was so that he could have this. He could have you and me. He endured all that. So I think contextually the joy, the joy that Jesus ha wants us to have as we go on mission with him is the joy of seeing other people's lives changed. I, don't, I can't think of a greater joy than when I get to be a small part of God doing something that blesses and changes somebody else's life. To me, that's one of the greatest joys in life. Can't... You, you can't put money on that joy. We have some folks that are going to Cuba uh, in, in a matter of days, and they're going to go there and minister, and they're going to go there to the poor, and they're going to be a blessing, and they're going to bring joy. And I know it's going to make them more, more joyful than the people that they bring the joy to. When you go to work tomorrow, I guess Tuesday. Sorry if you have to go tomorrow. But when you go to work this week, when you go back to school, when you go across the street to your neighbor or a hall uh, to a coworker, you go to bring joy. You go to bring a blessing. You go to impart this story of reconciliation, which you may have to act out before you ever say anything. That's what God calls you and me to do. And it's such an honor and it's such a pleasure to serve him, isn't it? Let's look at the next principle. Knowing, doing, and experiencing God's will means letting go of familiarity, embracing the unknown. It's scary when you go with God because I don't know if you ever noticed in the Bible, God does not always give a lot of details. Can you imagine Abraham? He's minding his own business, worshiping his gods, and we're, he has family, he has friends, he knows where local Chick-fil-A is where the coffee shop is, where he does his thing. I mean, he's got his life. He's 75. It's time to settle down. And God says, leave where you are, head west, and I'll tell you when you get there. It would be like me saying to you, use your imagination now. It'd be like me saying to you, after service today, go to your car, start the engine, get on Highway 212, head west. I have a wonderful plan for your life, but I'll, I won't tell you about it till you're at the next place I want you to be. Well, how do I know where the next place is? I'll let you know. Well, how am I going to provide? I'll take care of that. What do I do in my house? Uh, don't worry about that. Well, what do I do in my family? They're, they'll be okay without you. Just here's my plan for your life. How many of you would just hop in your car and say, I'm gone, I'm going, right? The younger you are, you're more willing to do that probably. The older you are, it's harder to do, isn't it? That's what it was like for Abram. 
It's hard to leave familiarity. It's hard to leave routine. It's hard to leave habit. It's hard to, it's hard to leave where we are and go with God, even if it's just across the street or across the hallway. But that's what God has called us to do, and that leads us to our final principle, and that's this. Knowing, doing, and experiencing the will of God means being willing, listen, to lose your life as you know it. I'm not necessarily talking about your physical life. I suppose that's possible. I'm just saying your life as you know it, your everydayness of life, your habit, your routine. Following him, knowing him, doing his will means I've got to leave my life as I know it in order that others may experience God's love. So God says, I want you to make the sacrifice. I want you to get uncomfortable. I want you to let me shape and mold you in all kinds of ways with all kinds of means because in the end, I'm going to use that to help you tell the story of reconciliation. Because that's his will, that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, God's never going to ask you to do something that he himself has not done for us and modeled for us. You ever thought about Jesus for a minute? I mean, Philippians 2, Paul says that Jesus left his place in glory. Can you imagine giving up? I, I, I can't comprehend what it means, but giving up being with the Father and the Spirit, in a sense, and taking on human flesh. Not that God is three gods. He's one God and three persons. That's a mystery. I can't explain it. Maybe we'll understand it someday. But Jesus becomes human flesh. He's born in poverty. He's adopted by a human family. For a while, he's a refugee in Egypt. He comes back and lives in obscurity. He steps out in public ministry. Everybody loves him at first, and then everybody eventually says, crucify him, and he suffers on the cross. And why did he do it? We already answered the question Hebrews 12, 1, for the joy of saying, you're now mine. You're now reconciled. He hands us to his father, and he says, here, Father. That's why he did that for you and me. And the question is, am I willing, are you willing to do that for others? Am I willing to get uncomfortable in order for God to use me in some place? Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But if you're, if you're following Christ, there's always going to be a certain level of discomfort in you. And if you don't feel that discomfort, I question whether you're really following him these days. Oswald Chambers says something, I heard it the other day, and I, I committed it to memory. It's very simple. He says, you know, Jesus comes, first of all, to disturb us. Then, after disturbing us, he comes to save us, right? He convicts us of our sin, and he saves us, right? Or delivers us. He disturbs us. He delivers us. But then he says, and then the rest of the time till we get to heaven, he's disposing He's disposing our old sinful nature. He's disposing our old habits, our old ways. He's always at work in our life. You see, this is finished and completed. You're not. I'm not. I will be someday. But right now, he's still, he's still shaping. He's still molding. He's still adding water. He's still cutting pieces away. He's still making creases. It's coming. It's forming. I don't always see it when I look in the mirror, but it's there. God's doing something. And someday when I stand before him, it's going to be like, yeah. God will say, that's what I wanted you to be. And it's all about him getting the glory. 
So let's uh, quickly review what we've learned as we start this series. First of all, we learned we do not choose God, but he chooses us to do his will through us. Secondly, we've learned that God's primary will for your life and my life is to be his ministers. Thirdly, we've learned that if you really come into an awareness of who God is, you will find yourself on mission with him. And then fourthly, we learned knowing, doing, experiencing God's will means I got to get uncomfortable. And last but not least, it means I got to kind of be willing to lose my life as I know it. In order, in order to experience others coming to know the love of God through my life. In the 1800s, people started going to Hawaiian Islands, and one of the problems is when they showed up, they brought their diseases with them, kind of like what happened to Native American Indians when, when people came over from Europe. Chicken pox, smallpox, etc. And one of the diseases there in Hawaii that, that really uh, was devastating for the natives who lived there was Hansen's disease or leprosy. And it got so bad that, that you know, the leaders in Hawaii decided, you know, we have to contain this. And so they decided to take the Kalapapa Peninsula on the island of Molokai and, and turn it into a leper colony. So everybody who got leprosy in the islands was sent there and separated from the rest of society because the disease was so you know, quickly spread. And it's a horrible disease. It, it, it mangles the body. Your flesh rots. There are maggots that crawl in and out of wounds. Your nerve endings die. You touch fire. You don't know it. It's rotting. It's putrid. It's a horrible, horrible disease. In 1840, Joseph de Vestra was born in Belgium. Joseph decided at a young age he wanted to become a minister. He wanted to be a priest. And so he entered the priesthood and changed his name to Damien, Father Damien. And he went to the Hawaiian Islands to serve. Not a bad gig, huh? Going to go to Hawaii and be a pastor. So he ends up there in the, in the, in the 1800s. And uh, one day as he's ministering there, his bishop came. And the bishop said to him and some others, I need some volunteers who would be willing to go to Kalapapa Peninsula and, 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 you know, to do mass for the people there, the lepers there, and kind of check on them, let them know we know them, that we're praying for them, but you have to be careful. I'm not going to make anybody go, anybody volunteer. And Father Damien said, I'll go. The bishop said, be very careful. So he went, and he was overwhelmed. He could hardly get through the first service because the, the smell was so putrid. The sight was so gruesome and ugly but he managed to, to get through it. And then they took him to what they called the death or the dying shed. And the dying shed is where they take lepers who are you know, truly hours away from death and they just they kind of put them in there. And he walked in and there's just moaning and there's misery and there's, the smell is horrible. And he sees this young man laying on a cot and he walks up to the young man and He's trying, you know, trying to relate to him, and he wants to touch him, and he can't find any place that's without leprosy except this one piece of skin on the back of the guy's neck, and he takes his finger, and he strokes it gently, and he tells him about God's love and assures him of where he's going to go with faith in Christ and prays for him. And as he prays, the young man goes into a spasm and then passes into the presence of God. That so shook his life that when he went back, he wrote a letter to his superiors and said, I want to sacrifice my life, the rest of my life, for the lepers. 
there's such a harvest waiting. So he went back to Kalapapa Peninsula, and on the first Sunday, as the new priest, the only priest, he stood up and he said to them something very strange. He said, we lepers. Now, he didn't have leprosy at that point. But he knew that the moment he made the decision that he was going to spend the rest of his life with them, he would die of leprosy at some point. For 15 years, he ministered. And then the leprosy took his life. Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you have to be willing to what? Lose your life. And when you lose your life for my sake, what do you do? You find your life. You know, when Jesus stepped into public ministry, that's when he experienced the fullness of his Father's presence and the anointing on his life there at his baptism. And from then on, man, God's hand was so powerful upon his son and all the miracles and all the things that he did. If you want to experience the fullness of God, or as Tim Keller says, if you want to take big gulps of God, you have to be willing to go. You have to be willing to lose your life. And when you do, God will fill your life. And it makes the loss consequential. Let's pray. Fathers, we prepare to start this series. We want to be in that place, Lord, at least I do, of being moldable and shapeable by you. We want to be at that place, Lord, many of us do, where we say, not my will, but your will, no matter what it means, no matter what it takes. So, Lord, now the, the big question is, am I, and are we willing to surrender to your plan rather than our plans? And I pray that you speak to us about that this coming week. In Christ's name, amen.